Let us turn to the book of Luke. And I want to go to the third chapter, if you would. And just beginning at the first, reading the first um, two verses. And Luke, the third chapter, in the first verse. And in the 15th year of the government of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate governing Judea, and Herod ruling as tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip as tetrarch of Ituria, and Trachonitis, and the, and the Trachonitis country, and Licinius ruling as tetrarch of Abilene, upon the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came on John, the son of Zacharias, in the desert. I want to go to the book of Acts, if you would, with me, to the 10th chapter. This verse is quite familiar, but I want to begin at the 34th verse and read to the 38th. And opening his mouth, Peter said, Truly I see that God is not an acceptor of persons or a respecter of persons, but in every nation, the ones fearing him and working righteousness is acceptable to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel preaching the gospel of peace through Jesus Christ. And then he inserts, This one is Lord of all. Verse 37, and you know the thing that happened throughout all Judea. He's talking to Cornelius, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. Verse 38, Jesus, the one from Nazareth, how God anointed him with Holy Spirit and with power, who went through doing good and healing all those having been oppressed by the devil because God was with him. Lord, we just ask you right now at the reading of your word that your word always brings us to a place of decision. It sheds light and yet brings us to a place where we must decide. Lord, we just ask you this morning that the word of God will do that perfect work in our hearts. Lord, has been given by you, inspired by you, written by those who were inspired to write. And we ask you now, Lord, that we will take it and we'll use it and put it in our life as you have delivered it to us. We pray in your name, Jesus. Everyone said amen. I want to talk about the next phase of Jesus' manifestation. If you were here last Sunday, we did talk about his birth and that uh, God became flesh, that God took on the form of man and a servant and became flesh and dwelt among us, uh, first chapter of John, 14th verse, and dwelt among us. We talked about his birth. And in this idea of progressive revelation, that we can't leave him in the manger. And then we talked a little bit about his growing up, becoming 12 years old, 
understanding some things and find him in the temple there talking with the um, wise of that day about Scripture, about the thoughts of God, and begin to understand. And then for 18 years, we don't have any record of what Jesus did other than they said of him, is this not the carpenter? And so we can't leave him there in the manger, and we can't leave him there in the temple. We can't leave him as a carpenter. But his preceding revelation of who he is, I call it progressive revelation of who he is, begins to develop in his life. And the further it goes, the brighter it gets. The closer you get to him, the more you begin to understand him. And the, the more that he grew physically, and it, it says of him that he grew in stature and in wisdom, and in grace, in favor, before God and men. And so, as we closed last week, we said we've got to get him to the Jordan because there's something else going to begin to be manifested in his life. We know to this point, from the point of the third chapter of Luke, there has been nothing happened in his life that we would call that he did the miraculous. Nothing that he taught or preached. He didn't declare his kingdom. And to this point, he has just been an understudy. And I like that because Paul said in Galatians, the fourth chapter, is that Christ was under those for a period of time until the time came. And the time came that he should be lifted up out of that place and exalted as Lord, and he stayed under tutors and governors until such time, and that time we find this morning is here. He's under the governors for 30 years. He has been under mom and dad. He's been under the teachers. We know that it was his habit. It was his custom to show up at synagogue on the Sabbath because later he comes back and it says, he came back into the synagogue, which was his custom. And so we know that he learned and was taught by all those that God put into his life. And now there comes a time of a next manifestation. And so we want to talk about that this morning. And I want to show you as good as I can. And, and with the Lord's help, the glory of the Lord and the next step of his revelation. But first, I need to go to a place of reading, and if you would, go with me to 2 Corinthians, and I want to stop at the fourth chapter here in 2 Corinthians. I've got, I've got something that the Lord just laid in my heart, and so I want to read from the third and the fourth verses of 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. In whom the God of this age, or the God of this world, has blinded the thoughts of the unbelieving, so that the brightness of the gospel of the glory of Christ inserted, who is the image of God, should not dawn on them. It, it, I, I need to deal with this for a minute because, because there is a work that is being done by the God of this world. And, and I begin to see this and think and meditate on this. And so we're going to talk about the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been talking for some Sundays and will continue for a bit. 
But there's a God of this world who is in opposition of something here. There's a God of this world who's working very hard to defeat something here. And the way this is worded, it almost, to me, it just seemed like that when I went over this scripture, it was just the devil just trying to do his thing and, and uh, cause influences against people. But the way this is worded is kind of shocking because it says he blinds the thoughts. Blinds the very thoughts. Listen, this morning, you can't understand Christ without thinking. You can't understand the gospel unless the processes of the thoughts go through your mind. But here's the devil, and he is putting restrictions and distractions by the world standards into the people's mind so that the brightness of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ should not come clear to them, and it should not, uses the term, dawn on them. In other words, he's putting the blinders on people. So that when the gospel is preached and when the Lord is revealed, his greatest fear is that Jesus Christ, the image of God, the image of the invisible God, will come clear to people that they will begin to understand what God is about. So the God of this world, he throws everything he's got at you to keep you from clearly seeing who Jesus is. He knows the power of the gospel is in the revelation of the person of God who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, that the gospel only takes effect when the revelation of who Jesus is comes into perfect light of your understanding. You can sit in church. Brother Aaron said this the other night in class. You can be in church a long, long time and never learn anything because the devil is here too. And he's throwing in the thoughts. He's throwing in your mind different things to distract you, to keep you away from an understanding of Jesus Christ. But we're going to do the best we can this morning to defeat him and to throw it in his face and to tell you about the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is the only power of salvation in your life. The only thing that the God of this world is afraid of is the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's not afraid of church. He encourages people to go to church because there they are pacified into thinking different things about the Lord. He encourages people to, to, to even uh, quote that they are godly and they are Christian and, and to be associated with Christianity. He's okay with that. But when it comes to the revelation of Jesus Christ, that's where he's going to fight tooth and nail in your life. And if there's something that I can get over to you this morning, something in the past many years that we preached about, and that is not about church. It's not about doing, doing good things or, or staying away from bad things. It's about the revelation of the Son of God who's going to transform your life and change your life and renew. When you come to know Him, you're no longer the same. I'm not going to have to preach to you about cheating your neighbor. I don't won't need to preach to you about running out on your wife. When you find Jesus Christ real in your life, he's going to transform everything about you. And that's what we need in our life is a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say this. If you're connected to any ministry, 
And that may be connected in the way of, of watching on television. It may be, it may be connected in the way of, of the Internet. And that ministry does not endeavor to reveal Jesus Christ then I advise you this morning to run away from that as fast as you can run because it's a pseudo-ministry. And the God of this world is applauding every ministry that's doing anything other than revealing Christ to the people. He's applauding that because it's keeping people in the darkness. Listen, it's not about quoting Bible scriptures. It's not about taking a setting in an Old Testament time and saying God is going to help you get through your problems. It's about a revelation and a relationship with a man, with a real man called Jesus Christ. He is real. He exists. He's alive. He is in here this morning. And the best thing we can possibly do is get you acquainted with him. Listen, the God of this world, oh yeah, he endorses the Word of Faith movement. Because the Word of Faith movement and name it and claim it. And by faith, I'm going to have what I want. And by faith, I'm claiming this and that and the other is not a revelation of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. See, he is endorsing the prosperity gospel. You will not hear the prosperity gospel preached from this pulpit or in these classrooms. And if you do, please come and report to me because we're going to take care of that. The prosperity gospel has nothing to do with revealing Jesus Christ. And Satan is applauding that. As long as he can keep people in that, he keeps the blinders on them. He's an endorser of the love and gospel and the grace gospel because there is no revelation about Jesus Christ. He's an endorser of the gospel entertainment music industry because people really feel like that they're in connection with God if they can say his name in a song and, and all people all over the place are raising their hands and all kinds of things. But I'll tell you this this morning. Unless there is a revelation of Christ in the music, it's not of God. Churches and preachers who pacify people, who get them into buildings and extract money from them to build bigger buildings and do greater things and get on TV more. We don't need anybody else on TV. We've got plenty of folks on TV. What we need is somebody to stand up and begin to declare the righteousness of the righteous king who is over the church. Amen. See, the revelation of Jesus Christ removes the blinders. You begin to see through some of the things that, that go on in religious effort and some of the stuff that people are doing and, and you begin to understand the motives of some of what they're doing now because, because the blinders come off and we're able to see God's glory and God's wonder. If I have to entertain you this morning, next week, you're going to expect it again. If we have to sing you songs that are going to fix you this morning, we're going to have to do it again next week. If you're looking for a miracle, a sign, and a wonder, we're going to have to do it this week, next week, the week after. It's going to have to get greater and greater 
all the time. But if I deliver to you Jesus Christ and you begin to understand his relationship to your life, you begin to understand him as the glory of God, the fixer of your life, I don't have to come up here and entertain you in any way. All I have to do then is fellowship with you, bring the word of God, and we'll all shout together because we're serving that same one that has been revealed to every one of our lives. And so that kind of, I did that to preface this morning, to sort of set in place that really the revelation of Jesus Christ isn't about historical events. We're going to go to the River Jordan, look at him in the River Jordan, but has very little to do with getting in the right river. Like I said last week, being like Jesus really doesn't have anything to do with wearing sandals and whatever kind of garb that he wore. I don't know what that was, and I really don't care. That's not our way to be like him. But when we begin, John said, when we begin to see him as he is, then we will become like him. So we say, oh, that's way, you know, that, that's at the coming of the Lord. When we see him like his word. No, 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 no. When we see him as he is, we see him, we change from glory to glory to glory. And what does that mean? That we understand a thing that we didn't understand five years ago. That now we see him in a way personally that I didn't see him a, a ways back. And I know him in a way that I didn't know him before. And so trying to get the historical Jesus really isn't going to work. I mean, I mean, Hollywood takes care of that for us. We don't need to do that from the pulpit. Hollywood will take care of all that. They'll, they'll put out another all the time. They're coming across with new movies about Jesus. And, and you all can see him and mainly his mother. And, and they go through all the scenarios about Jesus and his physical life and, and all of those things. I'm not looking for that no more than nothing. I'm here this morning to receive something in my spirit that it's going to go way beyond the historical Jesus. It's going to go way beyond just that man figure. It's going to go to the glory of God. If we leave him in the man figure, we really haven't understood who he is. But let's look at him. He goes down to the Jordan. In scripture there in Luke 3, it said he was about 30 years the Jewish custom, we all know that the Jewish custom was that you're not a man until you're 30. We don't know anymore uh, when you become a man. That could be 18. It could be 21. It could be that you're a woman and you decide to be a man. So that could be at 60. That could be. But Jesus now dawns on him. I'm a man now. And he will go to the Jordan River there by the leading of the Spirit of God. This Jordan River, I don't know, I don't could have put a map up this morning, but there is one main body of water that is in Palestine, the Sea of Galilee, from which Jesus made his hometown, Capernaum, upon the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And out of the Sea of Galilee runs this river Jordan. For quite a ways, I'm not sure 
how far it is. seemed like maybe 40, 50 miles. And then when it uh, flows uh, past the end point, it empties out into the Dead Sea. And the waters come down, they are fresh, fresh waters. They're not salty waters, but they end up in the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is 1,300 feet below sea level. It's the lowest place on earth. It is the lowest body of water on earth. Uh, it is the most concentrated with salt on earth. Everything in there is dead. Hence, the Dead Sea. There's no plant life, there's no animal life, there is no algae. There is no life at all. It's dead. Completely dead. The Dead Sea, vibrant and alive until it reaches the Dead Sea. When it gets to the Dead Sea, those waters go and mix in with the death and deadness that is in the Dead Sea and there's no longer life. If any fish happens to fall, be washed into the Dead Sea, it completely dies instantly. There is no life there. And the Lord began to show me a thing, and if you can catch this, in progressive revelation, everything flows towards Yeshua HaMashiach. He's standing in the water there, just north of the Dead Sea, ready to be baptized, and it's this picture of everything flows to him, but anything that flows past him is emptied into death. All things flow to him, for in him we live and move and have our being. Everything is in Christ and flows to him, but those things that go past him end up in death, and despair, and what I would say about that this morning is just another picture of Jesus who is the light and the life of the world. If you try another way, it's going to be death. If you go around him, Jesus said, anyone that goes around me is the robber. I'm the door, and anyone who enters in another way is going to end up in the Dead Sea. It doesn't matter what your religious... Uh, beliefs are. It doesn't matter what church you belong to. It doesn't matter what grandma and grandpa told you. Anything that does not come into Christ has got one destination and that is death. There is no life there. There's no life outside of Jesus Christ. You do not have life. Life is in him. He was the light and the life was in him and, and he is the light and life of the world. I like this how the scripture, that's why we want to read the first couple of verses there in Luke 3, that it sets up this whole, I mean, this is what they're living in. They've got Tiberius, who is Caesar. They've got the Herods, who are under rulers. They've got Pontius Pilate, they've got Licinius. I mean, it, there's a bunch of ruling class that's over them. There is, if that's not enough, then let's go to the high priesthood who are also rulers over the Jews. Annas and Caiaphas, 
and their domination over the people. And then the word of God goes out, it says, to a man who is in the desert. Boy, I like that. Just, I just envisioned this in my mind, that the word of God, it went through Jerusalem. And it stopped by the leaders, and it stopped by the elders, and it stopped by the priests, and, and it stopped by the high priesthood. It went through the temple, and it got out there in the wilderness just north of the Dead Sea. And it landed there at a place where John was preaching and teaching. And I like this because there where it says the word came out, it was the rhema. And the rhema came out to him, but not only the rhema came out to him, the logos came out to him. Both the rhema and the logos came out to him and met him at the same time in the River Jordan. He's got a job to do. He's been anointed of God and now standing before him is both the rhema and the logos. Listen, the word of God is not in the governments of this world. The governments of this world are not going to bring the peace of God in this place. They so said, we'll leave it up to the rulers. Yeah, we'll leave it up to the rulers and look at the chaos that's going on. The word of God is not found in government. It's not found in in the federal government or the state government. It's not found in the local government or the sheriff's department. But the word of God, it lands on a man who's out there just in the wilderness somewhere. Listen, it's not about the man. It's about the word. And when the word of God gets there, something is going to change. Something is going to happen that is not inspired by the governments of this day. It's not found in the religious orders of the day. I think God is moved out and he's done with religious order. Religious order is not bringing the word of God. It should have brought the word of God. God it should have brought the revelation of God but because it did not and because they did not in Jesus day the word of God went out of that place and found a man who would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ the way that it should be preached and believe me I believe that God is still looking for men and for women who are ready to proclaim a true word of God can you say amen We've had enough of the phony. We've had enough of just the religious order. And the word of God will always be found where Jesus is about to be manifested. Wow. When the Lord's going to be manifested, the word of God is there. The word of God's not there to teach you it's good to be good and bad to be bad and bless your neighbors and And uh, just be a good citizen. It's not the Word of God. The Word of God is the revelation of our Lord and Savior to be manifested. So what time is it? He's in the the river, and what time is it? It's uh, Tiberius, and, and we just read in Luke, Tiberius, he came to power, um, and he was... In his 15th year, what we know by history, that Caesar Augustus died in um, 14 AD. In fact, it has the day he died, August 19th. History knows that, that Caesar Augustus died. And Tiberius, his stepson, immediately came into power, which was 14 AD. So his 15th year would have been 
29 A.D. Does everybody follow that okay? He came to power in 14. And Luke says, the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, Jesus came to be baptized. 14 and 15 or 29. That leaves Jesus being born not on zero, but he had to be born before 1 B.C. And so this is the time. This, this is all set by God. It's all put together. And then where does this take place? And we already said it's, it's near Jericho. And this is something that, that the Lord just dropped in my heart too. And I've heard about John baptizing, and they went out to be baptized from John. And, and, but, you know, where was he baptizing? We know it was the Jordan River, but not exactly where it was. And so we look it up, and, and really the little place, town that was close to him, it's across from Jericho. Does anybody remember anything about Jericho? Jericho is the first city that the people of Israel came to when they crossed over into the promised land. But this place now where, where um, he is baptizing has some significance because this is, a, is close to, if not exactly that place, where God parted the water back and Israel traveled through. And then I like what it said, they, they took rocks Somebody was talking about, I think Pastor Ronnie was talking, they took rocks out of that bottom of the river and set them up as a memorial for what God had done. But it wasn't only a memorial for what God had done. It's a memorial for where God will be. I like this area because it was Elijah who said, it's my time to go. And his servant Elijah was with him. Remember that story? And he said, I go and the Lord's going to take me. And he's going to go by, by, by way of uh, ascension into heaven. And Elisha says, I'm going with you. And they went from city to city. They finally got to Jericho. And Elijah says to him, you stay here. I'm going to go across. And you stay right here in Jericho. And Elisha said, I'm not leaving your side. And as they walked, they came to the waters of, of, of the, the uh, river of Jordan. And, and uh, Elijah took his mantle and he hit the water. And the water parted. And Elijah and Elisha went across. And then Elijah is taken up into heaven in a whirlwind, and his mantle fell down. And then Elisha gets that mantle and comes back to that water and says this, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And strikes that water with that mantle, and it parted again. See, the entry in and out, and the entry into the promise of God is going to go through Christ. Not only did God part the waters, but the God who parted the waters, is now standing in the waters. And you're not going into promise without going into him. And you're not going into ascension. You're not going into resurrection without going through him. So everywhere that you see in the Old Testament, it's going to talk of Christ. And here he is right in the middle of this thing. 
I happen to believe, I can't prove this, but I happen to believe that he's standing in the very spot that those things took place, that he parted that water, and now the one who parted the water is standing in the water. The one who created the water is now standing in the water, and he will go under the water because all things are in him. All things are through him. All things are by him. All the Old Testament stuff is about him and through him and in him. Can the church say amen? And so John the Baptist, a lot of people just look at him as the baptizer. He's not just a baptizer. That one of the things that he does. He is out there and baptizing. He's, he's putting people under. But listen to this very closely. Anyone can baptize you. Almost every religion specializes it's a high order in every religion to be baptized and upon that baptism you are accepted into their association it's almost as though it's 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 the major point that you get baptized for conversion and loyalty to that faith But John isn't out there to baptize. He's baptizing because people are repenting. The scripture doesn't say of him, and John the Baptist was a baptizer at no, it says he's a voice. He's a voice, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the ways and the paths of the Lord. Here he is out there. Yes, he is baptizing the penitent. That's an important work that he's doing. But what he's baptizing them into, he doesn't understand. He's just baptizing them into repentance. And it will take Paul many years later in some of the churches. Some of them were only baptized into repentance. They didn't know what they were baptized into. And this moment in the water at this time, the scales are coming off. The understanding is going to begin to be there that you're not baptized into a church. You're not baptized into an order. You're not baptized into a faith. You're baptized into Jesus Christ himself. You are baptized by the power of his spirit and you're put under in him. It's not about being penitent and being baptized. It's about being baptized in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And John begins to understand his real purpose. His real purpose isn't to baptize. His real purpose is to declare who the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world is. And John, seeing him coming, behold the Lamb of God. See, the one that called him didn't just call him to baptize. The one that called him called him to identify and proclaim. And may I say to you this morning, that every preacher that's been called by God is going to have the burden of revelation of Jesus Christ. They're going to have it in the church. If they're on television, they're going to have it on television. If they're on radio, they're going to preach it on radio. If they are on the Internet, they're going to preach it there. And I'm not talking about some crazy revelation of last days. I'm talking about Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm talking about the Lord of glory revealed to the church. 
In his name is Jesus. Can you say amen? Next, I believe that John was the true last high priest of the Old Testament. If Caiaphas had been the high priest and was functioning as such, the word of God in the old temple and tabernacle always went to the high priest. He was the man who came out with the word of God for the people. He wasn't just a priest. He was the the high priest. And if God spoke to Israel, he spoke through the high priest. And he used prophets also. But God, in in connection with the holiest of holies and the high priest that ministered there, God would speak his word into the high priest. But not this time. He's going out on the bank of Jordan, and I believe that John was in the order of the high priest. It didn't happen to him. At that time, they were buying and selling the high priesthood. There was a dysfunction down at the temple. Annas and Caiaphas had a hold of it, and they weren't letting go, and they were serving that capacity in the temple. But they were not the anointed high priest of God. The really anointed high priest of God is the one where the word of God goes into. And that's John the Baptist out on the bank there. And one of the reasons why we know that is John's mother, Elizabeth, it says of her that she was of the daughters of Aaron. Wow. What an honor that is. The daughters of Aaron. Everybody remember Aaron? Moses' brother, the first high priest. And God said, out of your family, it's going to come down and down, almost like a, a kingship, almost like that, the, the heritage of a king line. The high priest came down and down and down from generations. It went from Aaron to his sons and their sons and their sons. And somehow they kept in record. I don't know how they did it, but they kept in record that Elizabeth, John's mother, was of the daughters of Aaron that connects them with the high priesthood. It's no wonder that when God got ready to do something, he wasn't looking down there at the temple where there was no revelation. There was no understanding of him. They rejected the cornerstone. They didn't know who he was. But the word of God is going to go out and get in the mouth of a man who's going to identify who Jesus is to the people. They're going to understand who the Lamb of God, the sacrifice, which takes away the sin of the world. You're not going to find it down there at the temple anymore. No, he's standing in the Jordan now. Now, this is the one who will take away the sins of the world. And so John is, John is that one who I believe to be the last Old Testament high priest. But now we have another thing in, in, in line here. Mary becomes with child by the Holy Spirit of God and she went to see her kin Elizabeth and so we believe that Elizabeth being older than Mary was most probably her aunt 
and that would be Mary's mother's sister. It couldn't be her father's sister because her father was of the tribe of Judah in the line of David. But I believe even though it doesn't say that that Mary's mother surely also could have been of the daughters of Aaron. And now you got two boys that have come out of the loins of Aaron and they're standing in the middle of a river and one of them says to the other, I should not be baptizing you. I'm not worthy to baptize you. And the other one, Jesus says, let it be for now so that all things might be fulfilled. And I see the one high priest as he takes the other one down and brings him back up. He's giving to him the mantle of the high priest. He's turning over. In fact, John the Baptist said, I must decrease. He must increase. And coming out of that water, hey, he went in 30 years old. He went in. As, as the son of God and the son of man. But he's coming up out of that water as not only the high priest, but the book of Hebrews said he is the great high priest. In other words, he superseded everything that happened in the Old Testament. All of those old high priests, Jesus Christ coming up out of the water has the order of the high priesthood in his hand. And he'll never give it up. Because he lives forever. Forever, the book of Hebrews says. Forever a high priest. Forever the great high priest, eternal in the heavens. Isn't that amazing? Amen. And so now, Jesus coming up out of the water. Let me take that phrase. And him coming up out of the water. For whatever reason that God determined, like I said, the Lord went in a man. He went in a carpenter. He went in a good son. But God is going to manifest something in his life that hasn't been manifested up till now. He's not coming out of that water just another carpenter. He's not coming out of there to be in mama's house anymore. In fact, he's not going to live in mama's house anymore. He's not going to work for daddy Joseph anymore because something about him is going to be manifested that's way beyond that now. God is going to manifest something, and it's called Christed, how God anointed. And if you look at that word in the Greek, it's how God Christed him there. He was potential Christ in the manger. He was potential Christ at 12 years old in the temple. He was potential Christ working out among the people and his father's business. But now he is going to be Christed by the power of God. He's coming out of that water. And you're not going to see him just as Mary's son, a carpenter anymore. But you're going to see him full of power and anointing and ministry. He now is going to begin to minister to the people because God has anointed this man, Christ Jesus. What a revelation has happened in his life. The Spirit of God, he comes up out of the water. And just a sign, just a sign, John said, I saw as a dove. 
something descending upon him. I get amused at some people are looking for a dove. The scripture doesn't say to us that the Holy Spirit of God is a dove. But he ascended as a dove, like as a dove, upon him. Somebody preaching the other day and I was watching them and they said, the wings of the Holy Ghost are moving in this place. The wings of the Holy Ghost, the dove. And, and, and so again, we're missing the revelation of Jesus Christ. If we can just go another direction, another thing, and you know, don't get interested in something else. But coming up out of that water, the Spirit of God now, something happens here. It's a, it's a perfect prototype of Acts 2. But you shall receive, it uses the word Greek word dunamis, not necessarily power like I'm strong, I'm big. It, it's ability. To do something that you couldn't do before the Spirit of God comes upon you. I don't know where we're at with all this. It's almost like Holy Ghost worship stuff. And I don't, you know, I'm 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 the first one that does not want to bring down the Spirit of God, but I was taught all my life as a young man, you know, that. The Holy Ghost, and really the word ghost here is just, I don't like the word ghost because ghost gives us an apparition of who God is. And, and it's, you know, okay, he's a dove, he's a ghost. Now, wait a minute, the Spirit of God. And so the Spirit of God comes on an individual. And it's not to shout, it's not to speak in tongues, it's not to jump around, it's not to get your hands on people. The Spirit of God comes in your life to give you an ability of what you couldn't do, you can now do. You are not an overcomer, but now you are an overcomer in Christ Jesus. You couldn't make it before. You kept falling, you kept stumbling, but now by the presence filling of God in your life, you now are stable in Christ Jesus. This is what happens to the Lord. I'm saying he didn't have ability without the Spirit of God on the man of flesh. I, we're going to get really, you know, I don't want to get too theological here because a lot of people misunderstand a lot of things about theology. And, but now, but now, after he comes up out of the water, not before he comes out of the water, after he comes up out of the water, now he will go about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. I like this word oppressed. You get looking in that a little bit. It really, it, it comes from the root word, the English word, dynasty, that the devil had a dynasty going that the devil had his way and his purposes were in place. He was the ruler. He was the God of this world. He was blinding people's eyes. If they had just known who he was, they never would have crucified the king of glory. But the God of this world had him blinded and his greatest fear was a manifestation of Jesus Christ because his dynasty is coming down when Jesus is manifested, when Jesus is revealed, his dynasty 
over people. It's ruined. It's over. God is going to deliver people out of the hand of the oppressor by the revelation of who he is. It says he began to do those things because God was with him. And now we see the picture of Jesus. He's one and God's alongside of him there. This is not the rendering of the Greek word meta. But rather the Greek word meta says this. It looks towards the after effect of being with. It's a change, a result. Only which is defined in the context or by the context. And what it's saying here is the change that took place was that Jesus was not healing those that were oppressed of the devil. But something happens with the power of the Holy Spirit. There comes a change even over the Lord himself. There comes this change and now he will begin to exhibit things that he never exhibited before. His birth was what theology calls a Hypostatic union. Has anybody ever heard of a hypostatic union? It's sort of a description of how God came and infused into flesh. The word union. The word uh, hypostatic or hypostasis in the Greek simply means substance. So the substance of man was united with the substance of God. And I don't hold to that term very much because it goes other directions. But there was a union there. I don't completely understand that. But at his birth, God got into Mary's womb by his spirit. He got the seed of the word of God into Mary's womb by his spirit. And there somehow, there was something happened that's never happened before and that will never happen again. There is one only begotten son of the father. There's not many. There's not lots. There isn't going to be more. But there's just one only begotten son. And in this hypostatic union, God brought infusion of his spirit into a human flesh body I'm telling you that is a miraculous wonderful thing and in theology that is wonderful but I want to tell you something else that God discloses another infusion between God and man and it's when Jesus is in the water and comes out God releases his spirit without measure into the human form of his manifested flesh God then pours his glory into this human body called Jesus Christ, the man from Nazareth. I'm telling you, he's a man. But from that point, I want to tell you, he's not just a man. He's a man in flesh and he can hurt. And he can feel. And he can hunger. And he can thirst. But this same man can call people out of the grave and he can walk on water and he can turn water into wine because there has been an infusion of the Spirit of God into a human form of flesh that really, my friend, it's none other than God himself exhibited in the flesh of mankind. And so Paul looks at this later some years later, and he tells the, the Colossian church, he says this way, for in him, 
in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the godness bodily. You can't get any more God into him than what he was. Completely saturated. I see, I see two baptisms here. I see the baptism in water when Jesus goes down. But then I see a baptism in spirit that is a type of you and I. And God wants to infuse his power and his strength and revelation of Jesus Christ into the church. And if we leave him there in the Jordan, if we leave him there as Messiah, we will not see him as the glory that enters into our lives. That when we are touched and filled by the Spirit of God, he actually begins to take residence inside the human body. It's hard for us to understand. Well, Pastor, I've got so many faults and failures. I can't, oh, my goodness, I can't seem to even look at that properly. But God wants to do a work in us. Can you say amen? Some closing scripture here, 1 John 3, 8. For this cause was the Son of God revealed. This cause, John. John was there. This is not John the Baptist. This is John, the apostle. He's there. He walked with Jesus. He was there when John the Baptist was there. He heard those words. He recorded many of the words of John the Baptist. And now he comes to this conclusion. For this cause, the Son of God was. And this isn't just past tense. It's a participle, which means it's continuing. It was and is made manifest. That word manifest is just to reveal, just to show, make known. For this cause, the Son of God was and is made manifest or revealed that he might undo, dismantle, destroy the works of the devil. So, well, you know, I mean, the devil's out there and he's a roaring lion and he's doing stuff. No, the scriptures that I read out of, out of Corinthians this morning talks about us personally with the blinders on. And so I just want to talk to you for just a minute. So I've been in church, you know, I've, I know the church thing. I've sat in church and listened to a lot of sermons or good services. But are the blinders on? The Lord is always made manifest, not to do signs and wonders and miracles. He's manifest to destroy the blindness that's one of the things that it said about him when he took the book of Isaiah and he opened it up. It is to restore the blindness, to heal the blind. We're not just talking about people who physically cannot see. We're talking about the blinders that are on. And when he is made manifest, the blinders begin to fall off. And well, Pastor, you know, man, you preach about this kind of stuff all the time. That's right. 
because I want the blinders to stay off. The God of this world's got a job, and he's got it, and he's trying to work it on every individual he can. Blinding the thoughts so that you can't see him properly because he knows if you see him this morning, you're going to be set free by the power of God. He knows that his work is going to be destroyed. So, well, you know, he's just trying to get people to sin. Well, he's doing that. Yes, yeah, so certainly he offers all that. But he also is sitting in the church this morning. He's back around here somewhere. And he's trying to blind the thoughts. No, 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 Pastor. No, you're just overboarding that stuff. Don't, oh, don't worry about that. What are you eating for lunch? Man, remember, you know, tomorrow you got to go down a certain, certain place, take care of that, and, and uh, don't, don't forget about that now. Thank you, Lord. No, thank you, devil. Pastor's up there trying to talk about the thing that's going to save your life. And, 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 and you know the devil just, how many here can, uh, like, say an amen to that? Right? Well, he's been preaching now for almost an hour. Bless God. You'll watch TV for an hour and not even know it. I mean, you sit down at, 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 at 7 o'clock and look at your watch. It's 8 o'clock. And all you see is a bunch of foolishness, you know. Guy up there hammering away, trying to preach the word of God, and we're sleeping. We're thinking about yesterday. We're thinking about back when, you know, the kids were born and we got married. And oh, it's just great. Oh Lord, thank you. Oh God, what a great service we've had this morning. All oh, this is wonderful. Trying to break those blinders. Any distraction that the enemy of your soul can get you caught in. Any distraction. He'll try anything to keep you out of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because he knows if you find that, watch out now. His kingdom begins to be destroyed. And what does that mean? Oh, man, we're going to go out there and we're going to shut down the bars and, and, and we're going to kill all the doctors that are boarding babies and all that kind of stuff. Man, we're just going to really do God's work. That's a distraction. God's trying to do something in your mind and heart this morning to get the blinders off. So, oh, okay. I get it, Lord, I get it. It's about you. It's about you being revealed to me. It's about the revelation of my Savior becoming real to my life. That's where I'm at. God caused that to happen. Can you say amen? Would you come this morning? Uh, Musicians. The tearing down of sin's power, the born again experience, the infilling of the Spirit of God into our life, they all come through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, man, I thought it was a fast song. If we could get a fast song going, you know, listen, I grew up in Pentecost, man. I know, I know what fast songs are. If we can get this place in, in the state of pandemonium, the Lord's really going to move. I mean, people running into each other and falling on the floors and, and busting things up, and I have been there. I'm not saying that, you know, out of my mind here. I've been in that. That does not represent the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what, when I do get a revelation, though, I might have a 
I might have a little bit of a jump in my feet. It, it, it might. It might. We sang that song, you know, I'm, I might take off running. I don't know. If, if God breaks the blinders off of me, something's going to happen in my life. Something somewhere. I get excited about something, but, but a fevered pitch and a, and a, let's really get this thing going and, and, and laying hands. No, I need a revelation of Jesus in my life. That's what's going to keep me. Can the church say amen? Would you bow your heads real quick? We're going to pray and sing something and we'll be dismissed. Lord, we just thank you again. Lord, if we see you as you begin to grow in wisdom and knowledge and stature and grace, you developed, Lord, in manifestation in front of their eyes and and now in the Jordan, oh, Lord, you were there Christed. You come out of that Jordan. You went in, Jesus of Nazareth. You came out, Jesus Christ. And, Lord, we just we just ask you, oh, God, that every eye will be open this morning, every heart, Lord, just to allow your presence. Lord, just to allow you to take time in our life, Lord, and, and all the other stuff, Lord, and just vanity. Lord, I just let you minister, become that reality to each one of us, Lord, we pray in your name, Jesus. Everyone said amen. All hail King Jesus. All hail King Jesus.
give the Lord a good hand clap of praise right now.